Well, it's good to be back together as we continue in our study of Romans. Last week, we really looked at the first uh, four verses of Romans 6. And we really looked at antinomianism, first of all, and we shed light on its heretical teachings. We also looked at what it really meant to be baptized into Christ and into His death. And finally, we, we left off by looking at verse 4, where it talks about newness of life. And that's where we're going to continue today. Uh, so we're going to be in Romans 6, looking specifically at verses 5 through 10. But in order to be able to kind of set a context for where we've been, where we're going to be today, and then where we're going to head again next time, uh, I'd invite you to turn to Romans 5. We'll begin by reading, uh, beginning in verse 20, continuing Romans through Romans 6, verse 14. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also must reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace." So again, we talked about the importance last week of being baptized into Christ Jesus and being baptized into His death. Because of that, we have newness of life. And so we're going to carry on that same theme today, as Paul does, in further discussing newness of life in verses 5 through 10. I want us to consider this under four headings. One is union with Christ in His death, verse 5. Union with Christ in His resurrection or His life, verse 5. We're going to look at the old self in verse 6 and then the new self in verse 7. First of all, let's consider the unity we have in Christ. Paul stated previously in verse 3 of chapter 6, we were baptized into Jesus Christ and into His death. It makes sense then that if we've been baptized in and with Him, that He would go on to further discuss unity, specifically the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. So he says in the beginning of verse 5, 
For if we have been united with Him in a death like His. So what does that mean? Well, let's talk about Christmas because that has great meaning uh, for our topic today. Tomorrow we'll be celebrating Christmas. Uh, the fact that, Jesus, that God sent Jesus incarnate to earth to be born as a baby in a manger. Why did He do that? Well, Jesus had to be born in order to live. That is, He had to be born in order to live a perfectly obedient life, satisfying the demands of the law that we could not live. But furthermore, Jesus also had to be born to die. He had to be born so that He might bear God's wrath against our sin and endure a sin-atoning death for sinners like you and like me. So it's impossible, as we think about the baby in the manger, it is impossible to think about that without thinking about the end result. And that is what's accomplished, reconciliation with God the Father and eternal life with Him. Now, there's many people today that choose not to link the two events, His birth and His death. I know someone recently who began attending meetings with Jehovah's Witnesses. And unfortunately, she has now considered herself part of this cult. The Jehovah's Witnesses are growing at a rapid pace. About 1% of members leave each year, but they're growing by about 3% each year. What do they believe about Christmas? Well, they believe Christmas is not approved by God and is rooted in pagan practices and rituals. They also believe that when Jesus was born, He was merely human and not God incarnate. Now, while they do commemorate Jesus' death, they do not commemorate His birth. So what is our answer to this biblically? Well, first of all, Colossians 2.9, For in Him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of a deity dwells bodily. The word there for fullness carries with it the idea of sum or total. Of course, the word for deity there refers to the nature and attributes of God. So as we think about Jesus coming to earth as incarnate, the incarnate Jesus was the sum total of who God was and is and His nature and attributes in bodily form. John MacArthur notes that Jesus was born to die. Listen to this quote that he goes on to write. It's appropriate to commemorate the birth of Christ, but don't make the mistake of leaving Him as a baby in a manger. Keep in mind that His birth was just the first step in God's glorious plan of redemption. Remember that it's the triumph of Christ's sacrificial death that gives meaning to His humble birth. You can't truly celebrate one without the other. As we celebrate Christmas tomorrow and we gather around with our family members and we're remembering the fact that God sent Jesus incarnate, let us also remember, tell our children, family members, remember ourselves, yes, but He was sent for a purpose. And what purpose was that? To reconcile a people that God had for Himself to God the Father. And so Jesus was born to die, it's true, 
but our sins died with Him on the cross. And that's why in part Paul is writing in verse 5, we have been united with Him in a death like His. Our sins have been nailed to the cross. And we bear them no more. Now I don't want you to dwell on this, but just think about your life before you became a Christian. And think about maybe an old sin pattern that you struggled with. Maybe it was jealousy. Jealousy is nailed to the cross. Maybe it was anger. Anger is nailed to the cross. Maybe it was pride. Pride is nailed to the cross. Maybe it was lust. Lust is nailed to the cross. Jesus bore our sins. It reminds me of that wonderful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. We find these lyrics, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. So yes, we've been united with Christ in His death. And in part that means that our sins have been nailed to the cross. And we are united with Him through that. It really reinforces the idea of what Paul writes in Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us as with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. So we've been united with Christ in His death, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on in the latter part of verse 5 to write, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Leon Morris writes, the death of Jesus was not the end. It led to the resurrection, and the believer's death to sin points forward to His resurrection. We see that in 2 Timothy 2, 11-12. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Morris goes on to write, Paul is primarily concerned with the present, the here and now, moral life of the believer. This is part of the argument that we should not continue in sin so that grace may abound. He's emphasizing that the believer has already risen to new life. But there's another sense in which the consummation will take place at the future resurrection of the dead. What does he mean by that? Well, in one sense, our bodies will be resurrected from earth to heaven, but in a sense, we have already been risen because of the newness of life that we have in Christ. So we have unity in Jesus' death. We have unity in Jesus' resurrection. And now we turn to verse 6. The third heading we're going to discuss today is the old Self. We read in Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, our old self describes the old man. The, the person that we were before coming to Christ. If we look specifically at the word old here, it doesn't denote chronologically being old, 
but it just denotes being worn down or wear and tear. Now, I look at x-rays every day in my office, in my practice, and where I'm able to see if there's osteoarthritis on, in, a, in a person by looking at their x-rays. Osteoarthritis literally means inflammation of the joint around the bone, but how does it get there? Well, it happens in most of us as we get older with age, and it's literally called the wear and tear arthritis. Well, that's what Paul's kind of getting at here with the term being old. It's the wear and tear. It's the old man that's worn out from sin. And it's what he's referring to here. The old self worn out by sin is now gone, though, he says. It's gone. It's been crucified. And therefore, it's not something that should be desired any longer. Don't go back to that old way. It's been crucified. It's dead. Don't desire that life anymore. We see three wonderful truths in verse 6 about our old self. The first is that our old self was crucified. In other words, our old self is dead. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.22, "...to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires." Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, "...do not go on living as if you were still that old man, because that old man has died." Do not go on living as if he was still there. You know, dead means void of life. There's no life. Therefore, the flaming passions, the desires, the things that used to characterize you in your former life should not characterize you any longer in the new man because that old man was crucified. It's dead. Secondly, in verse 6, we read, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. To be brought to nothing means to render uh, inoperative or invalid. Therefore, the sin which so characterized your life before coming to Christ, listen, is now invalid. It's been brought to nothing. How? By the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. John MacArthur writes, new birth in Christ brings death to the sinful self, but it does not bring death to the temporal flesh and its corrupted inclinations until future glorification. It's true. What does that mean? It means there's going to be a struggle. There's a constant struggle as Christians to put off the old and to put on the new. You know, Paul would say in, in another place, we do that which we should not do and we don't do that which we should do. There's a constant inner struggle with putting off and putting on, but we We've got to work toward that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to realize that your former self has been brought to nothing and based on Romans 6.6 6, is no longer validating on who you are. What does that mean? It means that your life as a Christian should be fundamentally different than it was before you became a Christian. You know, there's a, there's a movement now in the broad evangelical community Unfortunately, it's happened some in the PCA to identify with the old self, even as a Christian. So someone may say, oh, I'm a, I'm a homosexual Christian. Have you heard that? Well, let me just ask the question. Do we believe that homosexuality is a sin? Yes, we do. Do we believe pride is a sin? Jealousy is a sin? Anger is a sin? Yes. 
What about drunkenness? Yes. So would one ever go around and say, I'm a drunk Christian? No, they're not compatible. Right? Because that was part of the old man. What about being a homosexual Christian? It cannot be because the homosexuality was part of the old man. So the goal is that we're mortifying. If one has homosexual desires, you're mortifying those homosexual desires because you are new and you have a new life in Christ. And that was part of my old life. And I recognize it's it's sinful and I shouldn't continue living that way and I'm going to kill it by the help of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's dead. It no longer validates who you are because your whole state has changed. The old is gone. The new has come. You have new life in Christ. Well, thirdly, we see in verse 6 the result that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that begs the question, does this mean that before coming to Christ, you and I were enslaved? Yes, it does. That's exactly what it means. To be enslaved literally means to be in subjection to or held in bondage. And so before coming to Christ, you and I were in bondage to our Master, whose name is Satan. We were under the reign of sin. We read in John 8.34, Jesus telling the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. (coughs) What's he saying there? Well, he's saying that we are born in sin. We're born with a sin nature. It's our natural proclivity as humans to sin. And so we are enslaved to sin in our natural state. But the Christian life is continually putting off and putting on the new. Putting off the old, putting on the new. This is the very essence, in fact, of sanctification as we seek to grow in holiness and become more and more like Christ. Colossians 3, 5 through 10, such an important section of verses. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and these two you once walked, old man, when you were living in them. But now, that would be but now that you are in Christ, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Putting off, putting on. Well, the fourth thing I want us to see today is that we have new life. We have new life apart from sin because of our unity in Jesus Christ. We read in verses 8 through 10 of Romans 6, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives... He lives to God. Leon Morris writes here, he speaks of the faith that those who died with Christ will also live with Him. The Christian way is not negative, 
There is a death to an old way, it is true, but as the believer identifies with Christ in his death, he enters into newness of life. Day by day, he lives with Christ. What are these verses saying? What is Mark saying here? We share in the life of Christ. Just as Christ died, we also died in our sin. Just as He resurrected, so we too in Christ have newness of life and will be resurrected in that last day when Jesus returns. Our new life in Christ should be fundamentally different than it was before. One gauge of that, even as we kind of end 2023 and begin a new year, it's a question that I often ask myself. It's good for us all to ponder. Am I growing in Christ? Am I more holy? Am I more, am I more sanctified this year as I enter a new year than last? Not am I more righteous. You'll never get more righteous than you were when you gave your life to Christ. But sanctification is a totally different thing. It's putting off the old. It's putting on the new. It's mortifying by the help of the Holy Spirit these sins that so easily ensnare and entangle. We will love what the Lord loves and we will hate what He abhors. We'll notice too in verse 9, death no longer has dominion over Him. So Christ was and is the victor. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. We read in 2 Timothy 1.10, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What does that mean for us? Well, Because Jesus conquered the grave, we too, as we are in unity with Him, are conquerors. We, through our union with Him, are conquerors and victors over our sin nature, which no longer controls us or has dominion over us. Why? Because we have newness of life in Christ. It is Christ who controls us, not sin. Will we battle with sin? Will we struggle with sin? Yes. But it no longer has dominion and control. Because our sin died when He died, we have new life because of His resurrection, and we can say no to sin. James Boyce writes, Will we sin? Yes. But we don't need to. And we will do so less and less as we go on in the Christian life. You may remember how St. Augustine put it when he was comparing Adam's state before the fall, Adam's state after the fall, the state of those who have been saved by God through the work of Christ, and then our final state in glory as Christians. I've got this on your handout. Augustine said, before he fell, Adam was passe peccare, That means able to sin. Adam was able to sin. He had not yet sinned, but he was able to. And in fact, we know he did. After his fall, Adam became non-passe, non-pacare, meaning not able not to sin. What does that mean? Well, by himself, he was unable to break free from it. In Adam's own nature, in our nature, 
quite frankly. We are unable to break free from the power of sin. But the state of believers, those who have been saved by Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit, is now one of posse non picare, able not to sin. This is a state Paul is writing about in our text today in Romans 6. You and I, because we are in Christ and our sin has been nailed to the cross, we have broken free by the grace of, the, of God through Jesus' atoning death. We have broken from the tyranny of sin in our life. You are, I am, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, that which has been sent as our helper, as our comforter, as our guide, able to say no to sin. The glorified state for which we yearn is non posse picare, not able to sin. So in our glorified state, in that future state, in heaven we will not be tempted by sin or be able to fall into it again. Now there's some out there in the evangelical community that thinks that can be achieved on earth. Non posse picare, not able to sin. And it's not true because we're still in the flesh. We still battle it. We're able to say no. Yes, we're able to say no. But we will still be tempted and give in at times. We won't be perfect, we could say, right? Until we are in a state of perfection, which won't happen until we are in glory with our Lord Jesus. That's where we're headed, but it's not where we're there yet. We are able in our, we're not able in our own strength to say no to sin, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Christians, we are able to put off the old self, put on the new self, and say no to sin. Praise God for that. Sin should not grow in the life of a believer. Sin should not grow in the life of a believer. If you think about something growing, think about grass growing. What does grass need to grow? It needs to be fed, right? Nutrients, water, all these things that contribute to the, to the growth of grass. So in the spring, it looks beautiful. Well, if sin is growing in your life, it means that you're feeding it. We shouldn't be feeding sin. That the Bible says the opposite. We should be killing it. We should be mortifying it. If I keep with a grass analogy, you're spraying Roundup on it, right? Until it finally dies. And there's no more evidence that it was even ever there. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. It reminds me of Isaac Watts' hymn, Joy to the World. Verse 3, it says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. No more let sins and sorrows grow. So in light of Christmas, and in light of the great voices that I heard Friday night at the Christmas party, and then also in light of that particular verse and the context that it has, the meaning that it has for our text today in Romans 6, uh, let's stand together and sing joy to the world.